This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. I'm Jen from the Frugal Friends podcast. And when I'm not cutting the end of the toothpaste tube off to get that last little bit of toothpaste, I'm stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I bring you the gladdest of tidings. What is this, Christmas? No, it's National Taco Day. You mean like no guilt Taco Bell? Okay, slight guilt Taco Bell? Sign me up, baby! And today we got a lot to talk about. Catch that? Namely, a recent piece looks at the work you put in versus the results you get in life and with your money. Here to dive down past the tip of the iceberg on this topic, we welcome financial guru and coach at Even Steven Money, Stephen Donovan. And from our own podcast, OG! But that's not all. Have you ever wondered if success isn't as much about just hard numbers as it is community? On our Friday FinTech segment, we bring Aaron Papworth down to the basement to talk about Navit. Lastly, we magnify someone's money. It's a pretty gray area, actually, whose money it is. We'll, We'll figure it out. And now, a guy who wishes tacos were better in Detroit, Joe Salciha. I do wish. You know, if there's anything I miss about Texas, it is the difference in Mexican food. Hey, everybody. I am Joe Salci. Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter and across the card table from me for a glorious Friday recording. It's my good friend, OG. It's more like Tex-Mex down here. It's not Mexican. Okay. Yeah, but but fine. But tacos in Texas versus in Michigan, you've had them both. Yeah, they're not tacos in Michigan. That's garbage. I actually had... Tex-Mex twice today for lunch and dinner. Stop stop rubbing it in, please. Only please. six pounds of guacamole. So Stop. I will tell it's you. It's a healthy fat. I will tell you. Have you ever been down to Mexican town in Detroit? No, I don't think that I've ever been to. No? Mexican town. Is it by Corktown? Uh, it's a little further out, but not, not, not too far from there. I'll tell you what was funny was that the waitress, when I was commenting that they actually had squirt on the menu... Like I haven't seen, I haven't seen the soft drink squirt in forever. We were like, wow, they have squirt. All of a sudden, guess what showed up? I got a squirt right in front of me. And I got to tell you, it was pretty good. Pretty special. Have you ever had one? You ever had just a good squirt along with your taco? Yes, I have. Yeah. Good stuff. And a guy joining us wondering what the hell he's doing here all the way from his center of his empire, I believe in Florida. It's our friend Stephen Donovan from Even Stephen Money. How are you, man? 
Hey, man, I'm doing great. And yes, I'm in Miami, Florida. Maybe not the South Beach where you kind of go to party, but you, you get the idea. Yeah. Are you uncomfortable yet with this whole recording and episode deal? Oh, no, it's it's been marvelous. The well, words that are coming out of your mouth. Amazing. <laughs> We're, we haven't even gotten started yet, so it's all downhill from here. But what's much better is what you do and even Stephen Money, which we've been following for a long time. It's about time we finally got you here. Tell everybody about even Stephen Money. Yeah, you know what? I was at $100,000 of debt and really just sharing my experiences and what I was doing to pay that off. And you get to a point where you know you pay off that debt, you feel great, and you want to help other people. And that's where I am today, where I'm helping other people as a money coach, as a financial coach. So I'm sitting down person to person, uh, well, via Zoom, as close as you can get. So with people all over the United States and helping them really on their financial journey. And it's been a lot of fun and I've really enjoyed it. It's so exciting to hear about your journey. I want to ask you two questions about it. First one is, do you remember your lowest point, like where you were? Because I'm always surprised at the number of people that know exactly where they were when they just said, it's got to change. Yeah, it it wasn't my call to action moment, I would say, but I, I knew something had to change. I actually got a student loan, the letter in the mail and the loan payment told me that I was tripling my payment. I wasn't making a lot of money at that point. I was really hustling as much as I could. So it went from like $80 to $250 and it wrecked me. I knew something had to change right then and there. I mean, after I got off the phone yelling at them and telling them, why were they doing this to me? I then (laughs) picked myself up and really knew that something had to change. That's, That's wild. And then the day you got it paid off, tell me what that felt like. I wish there was this, you know, that big celebration (laughs) where people come out and be like, oh, hey, remember when you had all this debt and they come out and they're like, oh, congratulations, high fives and whatever. It didn't exactly happen that way. I was very, very happy. It felt great to, you know, because all you're really doing is kind of clicking a button to make that final payment. So that felt great. I think what I really understood about it was the days and the weeks and the months ahead. And then that's really when I felt it. Uh, when you know I was able to do things that I that I wasn't doing before, taking little trips, buying a bike, like that was actually a huge deal. I bought a bike to commute to work every once in a while, and that was amazing. I was driving, I was riding some thirty five dollar like thrift store bike in the streets of Chicago, wondering if I was like going to stay upright. So it was a it was a big deal for me. That's so so awesome. Did you get any notice at the end that you could like frame like it was some kind of a masterpiece? No. No. Sorry, Joe. Oh, no. well, there are other masterpieces out there, Stephen. Today's episode is brought to you by Masterworks. Masterworks is the first art investment platform that lets you invest in the world's most valuable paintings. You literally are buying a piece of some of the most valuable art in the world. Visit masterworks.io and reserve your shares. We got a great show today. We got Stephen from Even Stephen Money here. We got OG. We got Guys Night in the basement. So let's get this party started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamin's Headlines. Our piece today comes to us from Your Money Blueprint. Uh, Stephen, have you ever read this blog? Uh, I haven't. I have not. Yeah, I have. I've not either. OG, you, you seen this one before? What's a blog? Me- <laughs> There's your answer. Uh, this is out of New Zealand. The author of this blog, I believe, is Nick at uh, Your Money Blueprint and uh, written in New Zealand. 
this piece is called Just the Tip of the Iceberg, and I like how this starts. It says, throughout my 20s, I spent every dollar I earned. I tell myself things like, I deserve it, or it doesn't cost much. The problem is, these times become too frequent. I was telling myself I deserve something every single week. I'd hardly been in the workforce for one year, yet here I was convincing myself that I deserve the best of everything. House, food, booze, travel, no expenses spared. Now I look back and I think about why I thought this way. Each time I come to the same conclusion, my parents made it look easy. It's my parents' fault, he writes. All I could see was the fact that we were well-fed and well-housed. I didn't really consider the fact that they had to work for it. I only saw the end results, not the process. It's a bit like an iceberg where we only see the tip, the results, but not all the foundation laid under the water. I like this idea, Stephen, because I don't know how it felt for you when you were in debt, but I remember the days when I was in debt and I remember having that feeling. You know what? I deserve to have fun once in a while. I deserve to go spend a little money. Did you feel the same way? Oh yeah. Lived it. I decided that I needed that Mercedes Benz. So yeah, just bought it, just put it on a little loan from the bank. They're very happy to give me all that money. Isn't that funny how happy they are to help you get into debt? It's it's so amazing. Yeah, they're wonderful. But what's what's (laughs) funny too with the Mercedes is that that's also the tip of the iceberg, right? I mean, you know, you're, you're buying this Mercedes. It's a tip of the iceberg, just the payment. I mean, the, the person at the Mercedes store wants you to think about the payment, not the full price tag. I mean, absolutely. Because what ends up happening too is, so yeah, it's whatever you have a $300 payment or a $500 payment, then there's all those things that you forget about. There's the insurance, there's the maintenance. Yeah. It's funny, OG. People see their neighbors that have some nice stuff and they think, well, I can have it because my neighbor has it, right? The whole keeping up with the Joneses thing. And and uh, I like this piece. We don't often know what's going on in the inside. Reminds me of the um, analogy of the duck and the water. You know, like when you see a duck, they look like they're just cruising along, but underneath they're going like crazy. You know, and you know this from being an entrepreneur, you know, having your hands on a lot of different buckets there's always a lot of stuff going on and to the outside person a lot of times they don't see necessarily the you know the work that's involved to achieve a certain level of success financially or otherwise you know and you're right sometimes you do get a mercedes and it's not that you deserve it or don't deserve it but you are well able to afford it and maybe you did pay cash for the convertible or whatever the case may be but a lot of times people don't see all the extra stuff that goes into it. I remember talking to my son. He went to a birthday party to one of his friend's houses and his friend uh, lives in a very nice neighborhood and his dad has an airplane, has a jet. And he says, dad, Bobby has an airplane and he's rich. And I said, no, Bobby's 10. He doesn't have anything. Bobby's dad sounds successful. Bobby's mom sounds successful. Bobby's a 10 year old. And so kids, you know, I can appreciate that kind of comment from, from the author because my kids are like that too. You know, they're like, well, you know, what's dad's is mine and what's mine's dad's type of thing. And that's not exactly how that works. But you still say that dad is successful, but you still don't even really know that. I mean, I don't know about you, OG, but when I was a financial advisor, I had a bunch of, of clients that I, I had to teach to act their Act. What's that Dave Ramsey quote? Act, act your, your wage. wage. Yes, that they had yeah, to learn to act their one. wage. 
right? No, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, there's two sides of it, I guess. The, the, the one side is the keeping up with the Joneses, and that's that side of the iceberg, which is, you know, all the nastiness that goes with it. I'm looking at it from the perspective of if you are successful or you do have nice things, a lot of times people assume that it was very easy to get to in this iceberg analogy or whatever analogy you want to use. There's so much more beneath that that led up to that success, What, however you want to define the success. Well, and, and this is why I thought of this piece, Stephen, and you together is because being $100,000 in debt and having those times that you want stuff, right? All this hard work to get above the water with your iceberg, right? During that time of building it, starting off, how, how did you keep yourself motivated to use OG's analogy to keep your duck feet moving? <laughs> Well, I listen to Stacking Benjamins 24-7. There it is. Just that's, on a loop. That's it. There it is. Thank you. Yes. Drop. Really, really helpful. That got me through the first year and a half. But for me, a lot of it was really immersing myself into personal finance and the community and having good people around me. And I, you know, I jokingly say, you know, I listen to you guys for a year and a half straight. But the reality is, was, yeah, I was listening to the Stacking Benjamins, good or not, you know, if it helped me in my journey. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was listening to Dave Ramsey. Do I think he's the best personal finance person out there? And like, probably not. But he was helping me at that stage where like I needed personal finance and to know things about paying off debt and to keep me motivated along the way. And a lot of the stuff that was out there like I was consuming, I was taking it all in. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like what you did was just kind of a mental game. Like you turned this sacrifice into, into achievement, right? So as you're sacrificing stuff, you're more looking at your journey, I guess. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. It's funny how much of it is between our years, OG, like how much of, how much of life is just the way we reframe stuff for ourselves. I know that happens to me all the time. That's all it is. I mean, you're your greatest critic. You're your worst enemy when it comes to decision-making quite often. I remember years ago, I was kind of trapped in the buying a new car every couple of years thing because I drove a lot and I deserved to have a nice car when I drove and I was a financial planner, so I had to look good. So we got to the point where we finally sold the BMW. So my mom had an extra one, so I was borrowing hers until I got laughed at by some friends. And I'm like, okay, I got to go make this decision. You know, so I went and bought a used Acura. I still had a payment, but it was much lower and it was a reasonable automobile. Fast forward a year from then, I was driving down the highway and cross over 30,000 miles. And I think to myself, gosh, I thought I've been driving a heck of a lot less lately, but I guess not 30,000 miles. I've owned the car a year. And about 10 minutes down the road, that thought pops back into my head again. And I go, wait a second, dummy. You bought it with 15,000 miles. And it was really at that moment that it dawned on me that if I couldn't remember that I didn't have a new car, there sure as hell wasn't anybody else that could remember whether or not I had a new car <laughs> or gave a crap for that matter. And so we put all these pressures on ourselves about status or symbols or looking good or worrying about what other people think. But really, it is always right in between, you know, that, that kind of seven, eight inches between your ears, I guess. Steven, what happened to the Mercedes? I was in Miami, Florida, and then I moved back to the Chicago area after that student loan incident, and I ended up selling it on Craigslist. Took a little bit of a loss, but it ended up being 
one of my best financial moves that I've made just based on, you know, that was kind of the, the, the domino that really started to make things fall. Well, that's cool. Cause I think selling that in your head again, just another status symbol, right? I mean, this is like, you're serious about yourself and your goal. Yeah. It, it kind of showed like that I was willing to make a sacrifice and I was willing to kind of take that next step. And in Chicago, it also didn't hurt that when you're living in the city, you don't really need a car that much. I didn't mind taking the train or bus or walking or biking. It was all, that's what most people do anyways. So it made it a little bit easier on me, but yeah, selling it was definitely a step in the right direction. No, that's, that's cool. What I'm thinking about as you're talking to, I'm thinking about having nice stuff and this idea of tip of the iceberg. And if you're going to have nice stuff, like putting in the work to actually deserve that nice stuff instead of saying I deserve it and putting it on credit, I think might even make you appreciate it more. You know what I mean? I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of people out there, especially in the fire movement that are even saying, do I need any of this stuff? Right. Is stuff really something that I need? I love uh, we had Tracy McCubbin on the show a couple months ago and Tracy talked about how stuff you know, marketers want us to believe that stuff makes us happy when stuff ends up being just more clutter in our house. But if we're going after this thing and it is something expensive, like doing all that work below the iceberg, I think makes us think much more, OG, like we actually earned it, like we do deserve it. And I'm probably proud of it. Like I'm thinking about Stevens Mercedes and I'm thinking, okay, I can afford the payment and then I can't afford the payment. But if I own the Mercedes and I don't have a payment and my retirement is taken care of and life is nice, why the hell shouldn't I drive a Mercedes? Well, you're right. I think that financial planning is one of those uniquely personal things where you have to balance you know, the desire and goals for tomorrow with also where you are today and the things that make you happy today. For some people, it might be driving a nice car or going on vacation or funding your niece's college or something. And you have to have, as you go through your financial life, little things that you can legitimately reward yourself with. You know, we laugh about rewarding ourselves too early, but the opposite can be true also, which is you lead a miserable life for 35 years, saving and scrimping. And then, you know, you got all this money, but you haven't had any experiences. Yeah, it's funny. In this piece near the bottom, Stephen, it says it all comes down to the discrepancy between our expectations and our reality. I'm sure when you're coaching some people, they have these expectations of where they see themselves, but you can see as an outsider, you can see the reality of their situation. How do you help them bridge that gap between expectation and reality? A lot of it is, I think, values and finding out what's important to them. Because if they're spending X amount of money, some crazy amount of money on a car or insert whatever you want, lattes. But then they're talking to me about how important it is for them to, say, be with their family or to take a travel and, and vacation. And then you end up kind of pointing out what to you, like you're saying, is obvious is that you're spending all this money on essentially stuff that you don't really care about. I want them to focus on the things that they do care about and what they do value. And that's really where I think the gap, you kind of get that bridge there and they start to realize, okay, well, you're right. I do care about my family a lot. I want to spend a lot more time with them. Well, then this Range Rover isn't cutting it, you know, because I'm, you know, it's a $900 payment and that stops us from going to Disney World and these kids are yelling at me and, you know, whatever the case is, right? Everyone has their own story. 
But yeah, it's really about bridging the gap with, I think, with values and what's important to you. I think that's the thing it's missing. We need to have that deep discussion more often and then uh, line it up ahead of time. Fantastic. Uh, our takeaway from this piece, uh, Stephen, you're the guest. Why don't you go first? What's your biggest takeaway with this tip of the iceberg piece? You know, it was something that I saw that I thought was missing in the piece. I didn't think there was a conversation. And that's what was missing in why they felt this way. They didn't have that conversation with their parents. There wasn't, um, there was, it kind of, you wanted to have that talk later on, but I felt maybe if his parents had, you know, said, Hey, this is how we worked for this nice house. And we did all these things that they might've had a little bit more of an idea and it might've related and they went to saw it as, Hey, now I can go do these things without money, (laughs) apparently. Um, and instead be able to do it, you know, on their own through hard work and through being able to earn a little extra money. It's so funny how much these money discussions matter. My, my parents didn't have that at all with me. I don't know about you and your parents. I would say I saw a lot, but yeah, I don't know if the conversation was there, but I also, you know, I'm, I wasn't in that, uh, OG mentioned the, the airplane guy. Uh, my parents did not have, (laughs) (laughs) like we, we, we did not. No, not, not yet. Not yet. 85 Ford LTD, maybe, but <laughs> I don't know about anything else. Halo. Airplane, air, that's an airplane on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> OG, your takeaway? Uh, I'll just mix metaphors because it's so fun. So it reminds me of the don't judge a book by the cover. You know, you don't have any idea what what's really going on behind the scenes. You don't know what's under the water. You don't know what's behind the mountain. You don't know, you know, whatever, right? So just... Do your thing, focus on your goals. And if somebody else has enough money to own an airplane or a 10,000 square foot house and seven Mercedes, so be it. That's great for them. If that's where they want to put their energy and effort, awesome. The chances are very high, however, and everybody knows this intuitively, that it's like, you know, that uh, Allstate commercial or whatever, you know, how do I afford it? I'm in debt up to my eyeballs, you know? <laughs> Uh, So quite often, it's not as good as you think. So just do you. Upstairs Talking to Mom right now is Erin Papworth. She is the founder of this cool community and app for women called Nav.it. Lately, it's been all over the map. Who comes? Uh, she has spent time in Africa working with Doctors Without Borders and UN agencies. She's done so much, and uh, now she's tackling the world of personal finance. We're so happy to say hello to Aaron Papworth coming down to the basement. And coming down the stairs to the basement, it's our new friend Aaron Papworth. How are you? Great. How are you? Well, I'm great now that you're here. I love hearing the founder's story, like how how this all came to be. But I want to be a little more direct. The name Navit, where did the name Navit come from? It means navigate it. So I was deep into reflection and trying to figure out, okay, names are the worst, right? I mean, when you're starting a business and you're like, this has to be meaningful and you know, people have to remember me. We were playing with a lot of navigation because the entire point of Navit is helping people navigate their lives and realizing that each life is different and has very, you know, we're all functioning in the same system, but 
we all have our, it's almost like choose your own adventure. We all have our own stories and you, you know, I'm never going to be exactly you. You're never going to be me. I'm going to have all these nuances. I have a kid, I have a house. You don't, you have, you know, a wife and everyone has their different perspective. So really what we're trying to do is help people nav their lives, navigate their lives. And it came to me like, nav it. I want it to be a verb. Go nav it. I, go navigate your life. You navved it. Oh, you, oh, I did not nav that. Oh man, that was horrible. <laughs> Well, and as, as you already know, I'm sure just in navigating your money, you feel like we're always in a fog. And and I love the community aspect of that, uh, just in your explanation, like how it feels like we're kind of doing it together. Was that how you started this company then? Was it because you were looking for community? I mean, why did you begin in the first place? Oh, it's a great question. And I'll try to be succinct because it could be very long-winded. But yeah, and I really appreciate that you're saying you understand community because community is the key to everything that we're doing. We're really trying to bring people together to understand they're not alone. And the money system is the same for everyone, but we all have to navigate it differently. So it's really, I'm glad you got that out of that. But I started Navit because I spent 12 years in Sub-Saharan Africa, actually doing uh, development work. I didn't see that coming. Yeah, right. (laughs) It's a weird one. But what it means, I started, you know, I went as a tourist at 21, I got offered a job and I fell in love with the continent and I stayed and I moved into emergency response work. So like, you know, Doctors Without Borders, lots of war zones. And then I got into public health and um, I did a master's of public health and I worked in uh, women's development and really public, like high risk groups for HIV. But what I, what you do over there, the kind of context, first of all, I left at 21 and I only came back to the United States at 34. So I never really lived as an adult in this country. And one of the things you really understand when you're living in other contexts is economic development has really nuanced priorities. And the priority often is, how do you have a really robust labor market? How do you engage your labor market into the system that exists? And often, the primary population that's not engaged in the labor market are women. And women really are the backbone of economies because they are, you know, often they're the massive black market over there, right? So cash-based economy. And when women have money, 90% of their funds usually go back into women, children, their their education, children, or or economic gain. So you educate 10% more women overseas and your GDP goes up 3%. It's wow. like this very Holy clear cow. parallel, right? So I was seeped in this, you know, how do we advance economic development? How do we advance women's development? How do we advance overall economic growth and access to healthcare, access to education? And in systems that are just not robust, like our American system, right? And system like the legal system, which then means the financial system does not is not accessible to a large percentage of the population. So I'm in that I'm working in it. it's very, you know, meaningful and profound. And then for multiple circumstances, I moved back to the United States at 34. And I had never lived as an adult navigating this financial system before. So I moved back because I had been a student, but never really, you know, on my own. I have a son and all of a sudden I'm starting to navigate this world. And I had had the benefit of being overseas, navigating it kind of superficially. So I was getting paid. I was working for American organizations. My paycheck was going into American bank. I think I accidentally started investing because my stepdad was like, hey, you have all this cash saved up. (laughs) You should probably start to get some return on that. I'm like, oh, yeah, right. okay, (laughs) right. So I also watched the. 2008 crisis from abroad. Mm. So that was really a meaningful moment for me where I was literally in Central Africa in the jungle, watching this thing melt down, going, what 
the heck is happening? Like, why am I safe in this really unsafe place? Right? Why? Why? Like, I was just so interested and confused. So that took me on the cycle of like understanding how our financial system is different. And then when I came back again, I realized, look, if I don't understand this system, if me as the consumer don't ask how people are making money of me, I am screwed on every level. Every single person in all of these scenarios has incentive to make money on me. For example, people were throwing credit cards at me. I was continually getting, you know, you guys get all this, right? I started to buy a house and I realized, wow, the seller's real estate agent, the title company, everyone in this, this scenario has incentive for me to pay more money. What is going on? If I don't understand this, I am going to be taken advantage of. So it was really a moment where I thought, this is incredible. Because on the flip side, I was in an economic environment, a financial system that I actually could participate in. See, I'd spent 12 years watching women, not like of the legal systems overseas, literally be so antiquated, like our laws in the 1950s and 60s, like up until the 1970s, that prevented women from getting credit. You know, you had to have a man sign. There are all these laws that prevented women from really robustly participating in the financial structure. That still exists overseas. I'm coming into a situation where I'm like, look, women finally have access to money in this country. I'm so proud to be an American. Where 1974 was the Equal Opportunity Credit Act. It was the first act that allowed women to get credit without a man signing, right? That's it's, only 40, 50 years ago. And yeah. it's actually funny. Uh, Cheryl, my spouse's uncle, was telling me a story last week, and he's a phenomenal storyteller, about how he had to go with his wife in the late 1960s to get her a credit card because they wouldn't, she went to the bank by herself and they would not give her one. <laughs> and I just thought that was yes. so phenomenal. So amazing. It's but, incredible. Yeah. So my stepmother became a feminist because in 1971, same thing, she had been married. She was the nutritionist at regional hospital in Washington state, you know, well-educated she and her husband divorced. Car was in his name because it had to be, even though she was paying, you know, half of it. Yeah. And she went to go get a car loan, fully educated, totally credit worthy person. And they wouldn't give it to her. She had to have her dad come and sign for her. And it was just ridiculous, right? I mean, infuriating. It is, it, <laughs> and, is, it is amazing not to stop you, but it is amazing no. because, you know, being in my position, seeing all of the ills in our society and all the things that are bad for all those bad things. I love you coming at it from a th an outside point of view and going, we have the foundation. Now we just need to build on it. A hundred percent. And I'm, I'm really proud of our foundation, but it's really taken 200 years to get that foundation, right? Sure. So it's when our country started, all of these laws, and, and we have this incredible basis of liberty, self-actualization, freedom for all. But really, legally, that was really for a select part of the population. It took a civil war in the 1800s, and it took the civil rights and the women's movement in the 70s to really get that now robustly accessible for everyone, which is so exciting because it means now the entirety of our labor market can actually participate in the economy. And that means that we will, we can really grow our economy in a more robust way. So you have all of this, you've got the foundation. Now you have the ability to build Navit. So tell me how this works. Yes. How do I access Navit and what do I get? Are, are you app-based? Are you web-based? When I go to Navit, what do I get? We are a mobile app. You can get us on Apple and on Android. 
And it is basically a money management tool. And our purpose is to help users build a future of wealth. So really looking at, we move people from daily money management, it's just a budget aggregator. I say that it's Mint plus Fitbit plus Headspace. Do you know, oh, okay. Do you know those three? Yeah. So Mint being the, uh, and, and I'm looking at the app right now, Mint being just, you know, tracking your expenses, yeah. knowing where money's going out, uh, Fitbit being fit with your money. Yep. And then third Headspace, I'm looking at articles and community and that type of thing. Exactly. Yes, you've got it. So the Mint side is we aggregate your accounts, you know, checking, savings, credit card. We tell you what you've been spending as opposed to you having to input your budget. I wanted to spend this. Really, our intention is to say, hey, this is what you've been spending. We can pull your transactions. Usually it's two years, month to month. And here's kind of the average. In the onboarding of our app, you set up savings goals. So we say, okay, and again, we're again, the pillars of financial health. We're saying, do you have an emergency fund? Do you have high interest debt we want to get down? Do you have student loan debt or do you have lifestyle goals like mortgage or travel to Bali or whatever? And we marry those with what you're actually spending. And then we tell you, okay, you're on track. You're not on track. You can set up the nudges and really kind of the overlay of education. Well, it looks like you're not on track. Let's talk about, you know, how you can make a little bit more money or let's have you negotiate your salary lately or how can you reduce spending here and there? Can we, can can I ask some questions about those before we move on? Cause I'm very curious because I love this idea, Aaron, of the nudges. Is that an alert that comes up or is it as my daily transactions come down? How do those nudges work? I love nudges too. And that's the behavioral economics, right? The Richard Thaler out of university of if Chicago, right. Somewhere up there in Chicago. Sorry, Richard, (laughs) I did that wrong. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So it is a nudge. It's nudges and alerts that basically are triggered by your behavior. It's either transactional based, you know, you can, it's, and this is kind of my point is we're user driven. You set it up. We will show you overall what you're doing. We'll show you if your goals align with your behavior and then we will default to some nudges, but you can really set it up. Okay. looks like I really want to be more careful about groceries. So you can set that nudge to, we'll ping you at 50% of your spend. We'll 50, you know, we'll ping you when you're 90% of your spend for the month. And then the behavioral nudges, we are then, you know, saying, here's the education piece. So it comes up as an, either an alert on your phone or we'll ping you in the app itself to give you those behavioral tweaks as well as the education around it. So really, okay, looks like you're not spending, you know, and you're not paying off your credit cards every month. Here's what APR is. Here's why the kind of best practice is to pay it down. Looks like you can't quite afford it, but let's start you on an avalanche, you know, debt repayment system, or here's what snowballing is, you know, and just overlaying both the nudges on your behavior with the education piece. It's all on your phone. We do have some email alerts too. That's fantastic. And I didn't mean to stop you, but but that is such a big piece. As you know, the behavior is everything. And being able to have that conversation in whichever way suits me best, I think is a huge part of the win. Thanks for that, because I really am super excited about this part of it, because there's so much to build on too. We also know there's a lot of psychology involved with money, right? Money, even though you know, the financial system is very uh, stagnant and is a system The the way we engage with it personally is really a lot about how we've been trained, our mindset, what our, you know, family history is. So we really, that's where the headspace side comes in. We're really trying to look at people holistically and say, okay, 
here's what you're doing. Here's your behavior. But let's also talk about, you know, how you feel about this. Let's build your confidence because confidence is such a, is such a key thing. I think it's really one of the key elements. If you are confident about your way, about the way you manage your money, you will be able to succeed and believe it's an abundance mindset, right? You will believe that you can navigate the system in a way that works for you. And when you are inevitably given hardship, which is just part of our human experience, you will be able to pick yourself up and navigate it and know and understand how the system works so that you can get through it. It's a key element of what we emphasize. Well, and that's where the other two parts though, also I think to Navit come in. And I feel like, I feel like this is an infomercial, but wait, Aaron, there's more. <laughs> yes. I've never been on an infomercial. Nor- <laughs> so thank you, Joe. For Are you that. sitting down? <laughs> But we are not cheesy salesmen. We are women. We promise. No, right, right, right. But there is more. But seriously, yeah. Yes. So the Fitbit side is the part that's super exciting for us. And that's what we're building now. So my dream and what we're, you know, we're actually fundraising for this is to build a virtual coach. So now you have the money management tool, you're getting the data. Also, you know, data is really important to me. I think you asked that before we talked, and it's a really key element for me, because one of the things in this financial world, and also just in general, in the tech world, Data is such a powerful thing for businesses to make money on, but it's also an incredibly powerful thing for the user to be able to use to inform themselves about their own behavior. And so we're really, our priority on data is to be able to use the data that a person is giving us about their life and mirror it back to them so they can see their trajectory and see how the behavior is connected to the savings goal and also compared to other people. We're trying, I don't like the competitive angle of that, but what we're trying to do is say, hey, look, you are normal. It is normal that you are 21, just out of college, making 40,000 a year. And here's how other people are navigating that. They're all having the same issues or, you know, high interest debt, credit cards, they're going to go after you. So be careful. And this is why? And here's how other people have navigated that. So for me, um, there's a really powerful usage of data for the user themselves to understand their own behavior and then move them towards goals. Because inevitably, we're, we're trying to push them towards financial health, right? And these kind of having a robust padding and also growing their wealth and eventually, right, in investments. So using their data to show, hey, this month you nailed it. Good job. Or this month, you know, you did well, you didn't quite make it, but you got it next month. So that's the key priority for us. I like that steps to financial health. Cause even if you're not, if you're not financially healthy, I think you also want that. And even though, like when I was a financial planner, I remember I had I had one client who told me, he said, Joe, this is a little like going to the dentist. At first, I don't want to know what the issues are, but then I always feel great afterwards, you know, and there's a little bit of that, I think, in all of us where, right, if I just don't look at my debt, life gets better. But but once I do start to look at it, you know, having somebody next to me or having Navit next to me kind of taking me along gets me that way. What about the headspace part? What are you doing there? Yes, exactly. So. Um, the, so the, and part of that, having Navit next to me is also helping you set those goals. Cause I think one of the things about a dentist or a financial planner <laughs> is that other people aren't experts. I am not a dentist. I did not spend four years of my life, you know, learning about teeth. So I need the dentist to kind of like help me understand what's wrong or even as the CFP to, you know, under, be able to be the expert in this financial system that is kind of 
opaque and complicated, and then just help you achieve digestible goals. So this is the headspace too, is this is both the Fitbit and the headspace, where we're encouraging you on a kind of short-term basis to achieve goals. And we know that when someone achieves even a small goal, like you lose that half pound, you're more motivated to lose the next half pound and the next half pound, right? So these kind of digestible goals that then you can really, from a headspace perspective, take time to honor and um, be proud of yourself and also understand and be kind to yourself when you don't make it. Our kind of approach is this is a long-term game you know, you're going to not make a goal one moment, but you will the next moment. And as long as you continue to move forward and not give up, that's really where financial health emerges because you're building resilience, you're building grit, you're building the muscle of navigation, navigating the financial world that inevitably also gives you education on how the whole system works, which then ultimately you'll be able to grow your wealth and know how do you want to navigate it. It feels like there's you're flirting a little bit, Aaron, with some gamification too, making it fun so that yes. uh, people take the next step. Exactly. Yeah, that's what the virtual coach is all about. So yeah. you have a coach, you can set up your user-driven goals and then you get, there's a NABIT score, there's a point system when you hit those goals. There's also accountability and um, and community and community really where you can share your wins and also your questions. Because there, you know, there are no stupid questions and especially in this finance. I think one of the things that blocks users and especially women in this context is you know, you don't want to look stupid. And there, you think that there's some perfect way of doing that. And other people that are experts look so good and they're so smart. And you just end up not asking really probably questions that everyone else has or a lot of people have too. And that just it doesn't facilitate health for anyone. And we're trying to create a really inclusive and positive space that says, hey, it's messy. It's a system that has a lot of intention to try and get money from you. So how can we navigate together and learn from each other? What does it cost? Is there a fee for it? The budget tool is free. That's part of, you know, you and I met because we're part of an accelerator program at MBKC Bank in Kansas City. And we are opening a savings account with MBKC so that we can now be transferring people's money, help them save. So, you know, you have that high interest savings goal. You want to pay down. Let's get five, you know, $1 a day, $5 a day into a savings deposit account, and then we can try and pay it off for you. Sweet. Um, so that's, we're making a little bit of money on the spread there, but um, really that's a feature for the user because the users are asking for that, like make my life easier, automate my life. So that's all free for the user. Um, we also, the virtual coach that we're building will be a subscription fee and we're playing with money with how much that will be right now. Um, it depends also on how much access the person wants. So if it's just a basic money coach that sets, helps you sets up goals and gives you some accountability and get the Navit score, that's a one lower fee. We also want to move people. If you have more, you know, robust high interest debt or student loan debt or more kind of complicated debt management issues, and you want help around that coaching, uh, that will be a higher fee. And ultimately, we really want our users to start growing wealth because this is kind of the thing that we see in our demographic. People are kind of okay with money management. They're not confident in it, but they're probably doing it okay. But getting people over the hump, especially when they're younger, into actually investing is a pretty high hump. And so we're really, the point is building financial wealth. So the pillars and the building blocks of savings and managing your debt, but then into investing, because really we know, you know, over time, 
time is, you're the CFP, you're the expert at this, but time is your best friend when it comes to investing in wealth and growing your wealth. So we're trying to kind of move people then into like refer them out into advisory practices. Gotcha. So with the coaching and advising, I kind of choose my level, whatever I'm ready for, I choose that level. And then I pay a fee that's kind of commiserate with that, that level of service. You got it. Exactly. Wow. That means I explained it well. Good job. (laughs) (laughs) Just try to make sure that I do have it. Last question is, and I'm sure that you've got 50 things going on. What do you see coming up in the future? What, what would you like to add to Navit that's not there yet that people can look forward to? Oh, there are two great things. One, we are building the coaching service and we will stay a coaching service. We're not trying to be an RIA. So we will refer out the advisory. So there's a relationship we need to build with advisors on that end. But the coaching is the first step. And then the second thing is there are some really cool features that around the coaching that we're just testing now that are super cool called one specifically is geofencing. So do you know about this? This is new to me. Just a little tiny bit. Yeah. Part of the coaching, if you want alerts as you move throughout your life, you can set that up. So, for example, you know, I go into, I don't know, QFC in our world, maybe Whole Foods or Target or whatever. You can set up the app. Well, we will we'll alert you. Uh, we can tell that you're in that area. We can tell you're you know walking into Target. Here's your budget for the month. You know, you, you have about $200 left to spend. And, and here are the deals and coupons and oh, kind of that's things sweet. in that store. Yeah, I lo- I'm so excited about this one. And it, that's, you know, us building a partnership with those entities, those businesses, but also the user, under- like teaching the user how to use it. But um, it's really cool. And then you can also, my dream is also then it, to be able to link it to what you're doing online. So if you happen to, you know, you pull up Amazon you get a nudge and says, look, looks like you have 200 bucks, you know, or a hundred bucks or, oh, you're not like, like you're over your budget there, but that's your choice, you know, but at least you know that, hey, you're over your budget on Amazon. Maybe you dial down somewhere else this month if you really want to buy that. So it's, I'm really excited about that. Just so it's like the coach in your pocket going with you, reminding you and giving you the information that you need at the right time. I feel bad. There's nothing going on. <laughs> What do you mean? <laughs> I, I'm I'm kidding. It it, it certainly right I, like, in my world. You mean yes, yes. It seems it sounds like you're bored sitting around with your feet up. <laughs> yes, boredom is definitely not the trait right now that I feel <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. A lot of other ones, but not boredom. <laughs> Maybe not. We will link to Navit on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com or like Aaron said earlier, just go to the App Store, the Google Play, and uh, check it out, Aaron. And thanks a ton for hanging out with us. And as you get that geofencing set up, please come back and tell us about that too. Oh, I can't wait. Joe, thank you so much. This was really a pleasure. Hey, trivia fans. What's up? It's Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug here, bringing you some money knowledge, you know, all wrapped up in this light, flowery tortilla of timbre called my voice. So raise your hand. If you don't love Taco Bell, I knew it. No hands, no hands out there because everybody loves Taco Bell. What's not to like? I mean, especially when I can order like the same five ingredients, call them whatever made up Spanish name I want and pretty much have five different meals, all with nearly fake meat right there. That's innovation at its finest. So uh, in honor of National Taco Day, here's a gordita of a question. How many tacos does Taco Bell serve annually? I'll be back with an answer 
probably covered in hot sauce in just a moment. Backstage, we briefed Steven on how this game plays. Steven, you're very comfortable with the rules? Got the rules down? I'm ready. All right. You are playing on behalf of Paula because uh, it was Paula's week off. Len, uh, nobody knows what happened to Len today, but that means Len just uh, is not being represented. OG, of course, playing on behalf of himself. We had the numbers, the score, which we got wrong last week. Len actually had one more than we thought. So it is 10 for Len and eight now for Paula, who caught up with OG, who also has eight. So that means that uh, because Paula just moved into the tie, that OG, you get to decide if you go first or last. Uh, I'll go last. You will go last, which means, Stephen, balls in your court, how many tacos does Taco Bell serve annually? Just to clarify, we're talking tacos, not gorditas, not whatever else they have on there. I, I need to be really specific on this, obviously. Not burritos, not uh, chalupas, not okay. uh, all the other stuff all mixed together. Okay, good to clarify. Now I can really, really dive in. Since I'm playing for Paula, she would do some sort of math. Uh, math, we'll just say that. I, I don't know if that's really my strength. She would probably multiply how many cities have Taco Bells and times 100 and per day and then average person that attend um, or buy tacos, not attend. Yeah, I don't have that. I also wanted to go first number in my head was 3 billion. I probably think that's wrong. So something less than 3 billion and where Paula would do some math is where I'm going to end up. So I'm going to say 12.5 million tacos. 12.5 million tacos for Steven. And apologies to Paula for that being really wrong. Steven slash Paula. <laughs> OG, what do you think? I think that he just gave me pretty much the gift of all gifts. That's a lot of tacos. That feels like, are you kidding me? That feels like not a lot of tacos. 12.5 million tacos? That's less than whatever freaking one eighth of a taco per person in the entire country. That's less than OG eats in a weekend. I had three tacos today. So <laughs> from I'm, Taco I'm, Bell. No, nobody goes there. Well, there you go. <laughs> That's why he's got the 12.5 so, million. So, so McDonald's has the thing billions and billions served, right? But that's since the what? 1950s. So it's okay. So since the 2019s, how many people go to McDonald's? So just using McDonald's as an example or Taco Bell. So is this in America, by the way, or is this na uh, worldwide? It's all Taco Bell franchises everywhere. Okay. So I'm pretty sure there's no Taco Bells. Well, I don't know. I don't have any idea. I think it'd say. be really funny if there was a Taco Bell like in Mexico City. I think that would be awesome. <laughs> feel like there wouldn't be. I but would hope there, there might be. be. Like in the airport, probably, yeah. if there's going to be one for all the Americans. All right, so there are 7 billion people in the world. Lop off straight up 80% of them, and you're down to a billion. We're round. And of those billion, one-tenth of them go to Taco Bell, and they all order one taco. That's 100 million tacos. And I feel like you're going to eat more than one time. I mean, back in the glory days, I used to put down the 10-pack and a Dr. Pepper and a chips and cheese. So, 
and Pepto-Bismol. I was going to say, yeah, and Tums. And a whole no. pack of, no? No, the, the key was to eat them all really fast so you could get them down before your brain could figure out that you were full. That's the trick. So how many tacos do they sell in a year? I'm just going to take the over. I'm going to give you a little grace, and I'm going to say $15 million. But I, I'm taking the over. I think the number is a lot closer to three billion. Actually, I was worried when you were going to say three. When you said three, and then you said I don't think it's that much. I thought you were going to say like one point five, and then I'd be really trapped. But then you came with that low ass number of twelve, <laughs> and I was like, this is almost a laydown for me. I feel I could be eating my own words here in a second. So I'm gonna give you a little room, and I'm gonna say fifteen million. But I think the real answer is a billion tacos. This is going to be interesting. Let's. Uh make you stew on it for a second. Well, I mentioned earlier how much I like Masterworks, and here's the reason why. Back when I was a financial planner, investing in art was something that you couldn't do. And I've been a big fan of art for a long time. Some of my favorite moments for Cheryl and I have been going through some of the world's greatest art museums. In fact, there was one, if you've never been to Crystal Bridges, you have to go. You just have to go to Crystal Bridges, and it's in Bentonville, Arkansas. Just phenomenal American art museum. By the way, the audio guide there is free. Well, let's give you an audio guide right now to Masterworks because now you can invest in some of the world's greatest pieces of art. And if you're someone that appreciates art like I do, it's finally open to you. Now, if you look at art over long periods of time, historically, the returns on art are phenomenal, but obviously investing in a single piece of art also carries with it some risk, which is where Masterworks comes in. Masterworks has a track record of investing in some of the greatest masterpieces of all time. So you get to take advantage of their expertise. Buying high quality art also has a fantastic track record. Obviously, anything can happen when you buy any type of investment. But if you look at trying to beat inflation, for example, there's a few asset classes historically that have done that. And one of them, art, hasn't been accessible. With Masterworks, though, you buy directly into a painting. You buy into a share of a painting. Your money goes in with other people's money and you purchase that. There's a lot to know about art and about Masterworks. Here's the site to go to. And by the way, you'll be able to skip the wait list if you tell them that we sent you. Head to masterworks.io and let them know that uh, Joe at Stacky Benjamin sent you. That's masterworks.io. Well, OG brought the math, Stephen. But do you like his math? I mean, he was trying to figure out how many tacos he could put down in his math. So, I mean, sure, it was fine. Um, when he wins, then he can say that. But until then, we're pausing on all this. Congratulations. That's there it is. And OG, you look uh, you look very I'm confident. supremely confident, just like, like how I like my soft tacos. Supreme. Here we. The reason you get the chips and cheese is then you can dunk your soft taco in the nacho sauce. It's almost like Kobayashi puts the hot dog bun in water and it just goes down a lot faster. So do soft tacos from Taco Bell in the 10 pack by dunking them in the cheese. If you got a little root left over, you get the little cinnamon twist for dessert. I think it's funny hearing you talk this way. And then I will mention like stopping by McDonald's and you give me like complete hell about it. I'm but, just ex- I'm giving you my experience from 25 years ago. All right. I don't all do right. that stuff now. Well, Doug... We've got uh, 12.5 million and 15 million. Our guess is what's the real answer? 
Happy Taco Day, trivia geeks. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And before the break, I asked you maybe the most important question ever asked on this year's show. How many tacos does Taco Bell serve each year? Now, listen, before I tell you the answer, I got to answer a question from listener Linda, who wonders if I even eat tacos. Well, look, Linda, I'll have you know that my standing order down at our local establishment consists of seven tacos and a Diet Coke. You know, well, because I got to maintain my swimmer's build here. This amazing V-like figure doesn't just happen all by itself. So let's get back down to business, Linda. For a restaurant named Taco Bell, you'd assume that their best-selling item would be a taco. And, uh, oh, yeah, you'd, you'd be right. Here's your answer. Taco Bell sells an average of two billion tacos per year. Now that's one hot tamale. Stay fresh, cheese bags. I told you. I knew if you said three billion, I was stressing because I was like, dang, I think the number is like one to two billion. And I'd been I, I'd had a really tough time if you would have said one and a half. Should have gone with your gut, dude. You know how sad I am right now. Like there's <laughs> there's there's like, tears tears on the Dorito inside. Ta- Dorito Loco Taco sad or <laughs> a bean burrito chalupa sad. Which one's worse? I'm not sure. <laughs> Have you, you actually ever had the Dorito taco shell? It's actually not bad. I got to be honest. Well, and Stephen, when you asked about which one's worse, you have to define whether it's going in or coming out. <laughs> <laughs> Don't knock it until you try it, though. I'm telling you, get the 10 pack of soft tacos, get the cheese sauce, oh. just one at a time. When you said three, Doug and I had talked about this before. And so I knew the answer was two. And when you said three billion, that seems like a lot. So I think I'm going to back it down to, I'm like, if he says two billion right now, this is going to be. No, that's what I was worried with. Going to be just amazing. Yes. So, so close. Hey, well. I'm a a failure and a disappointment. I apologize. I I thought we had a lot of fun with that. That was was a good Yes. You're not the expert on Taco Bell and you'll never live that down. That's like your, uh, who's, who's that baseball player? Uh, Bill Buckner. That was your Bill Buckner, Bill Buckner moment. No, what betting on tacos. Is that what you're talking about? Pete Rose. (laughs) Hey, let's take out the magnifying glass guys and help somebody do better with their money. Today's hotline call comes to you courtesy of magnifymoney.com. Cause you know what happens when you head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money, Steven. No, but I want to really, really bad. You find that those financial products you use every day. Nowhere near the best in class if you just go to a brick-and-mortar bank. Over 92% of the products available online all ranked at magnified money. By the way, not ranked according to how much commission they get paid. Seriously ranked from number one to the worst by four very stringent criteria. Head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash magnified money and you'll see what I mean. Whether it's paying down debt or getting a higher interest rate on your savings account, a checking account with lower fees. It's all there at Magnify Money. All right. Today, we're going to do something a little different. We actually, instead of taking a call, there was a question on Reddit. And I thought this would be perfect for the Magnify Money segment. So let me read you guys the question and and you tell me the answer. Uh, Gentleman writes, I have a wife Wilhelma, 40, and two sons, Sam and Scott, 17 and 16. Six years ago, I ran to the gas station to buy some cigarettes. Instead of abandoning my family, just a joke, I decided to also buy a lottery ticket for everyone just for fun. It was a blast. 
We all talked all night about what we do with our winnings, where we go, et cetera. I mean, this was all fantasy anyway, right? But I specifically told my kids that they'd have to share their winnings and they'd have to put it away for college first and foremost. Well, wouldn't you know it? Sam's ticket won. Of course, it's actually my ticket and I had to claim it. It didn't win the jackpot, but after taxes, we walked away with $60,000. I sat them both down and explained I was going to save it all for college. We could celebrate, splurge a little. They absolutely wanted a gaming system, and Will Helma insisted on a family vacation as much needed. We all agreed and saved the rest. Bought the gaming system and a bunch of games for about a 1000 bucks. Will Helma took over the vacation, insisted on a Disney World trip. Boys don't even like Disney. But it was always Wilhelm's dream to go. So we went. Another five thousand bucks. It's a cheap trip to Disney right there. Five thousand bucks. <laughs> Last year, I seriously read an article before they raised rates just a few weeks ago that the average family spends like eighteen hundred dollars a day, a day yeah. at Disney. The average. I believe it. Yeah. Last year, Sam wanted a car. Wilhelma was pretty tired of chauffeuring them around anyway, so I agreed and spent his 4000 bucks on a car. I paid the insurance, registration, and maintenance under the agreement that he takes over driving Scott to his stuff as well. Wilhelma had no complaints after any of these purchases. Since day one, I've actually invested the entire winnings and never dipped into it. I've always spent my own money on all this stuff. I've invested better than average in that 60000 now 100000 Wilhelma knows I've always invested our money, but it was always small amounts since we're poor. She knows I was investing the lottery winnings as well. I've always told her about the money doing well, but I guess I never explicitly said how well. She's also never asked as she's left our finances completely up to me. Everybody got it? Here's the actual question. Sam's starting college in a few weeks and we figured out a plan to stretch his 30000 over the four years. While looking at the portfolio, Wilhelma noticed it was at 100000 Ask how? I told her I invested the 60 and grew it to 100. She then asked why we're only giving Sam 30 when it should be 50. I said, no, the other 40's mine. I managed this account. I made the investments. I did all the work. Plus, I paid for all that other stuff through our other savings. The 40,000 stays and I'll keep investing it. The boys need the money. It's there. But if not, I'm going to eventually retire a little early with it. She thinks I'm stealing his money since I wouldn't have been able to invest with it if I didn't have it to begin with. I say it's always kind of been my money and I'm still giving him the 30,000 I promised him since the beginning. So 30,000 for college, giving him the other 30, keeping the rest. The title of this question, by the way, on Reddit is, am I the for spending my son's lottery winnings money? Steven, you're the guest. Is he the a-hole? So I read through everything and I immediately was like, no, not even close. I was like, you're, I feel like you're the good guy. But I also, you know, as I'm like, as I'm listening to it again, I start thinking about a couple of questions that pop up in my head. So he's the only person telling this story. Like we only hear that one side of it. So uh, his wife, Wilhelma, I mean, was she really the only one who wanted to go to Disney? I find that a little hard to believe with some kids. That were like, I can't imagine they were like, Disney, no, we hate it. We're no, never going. Stop, please. I just, yeah. I mean, come on. So there's starting to be a little, maybe a little chink in the armor that I'm noticing of his story. But in general, I do agree that that 40 grand, that's his. I mean, he's also, he's not saying that he's never going to give it to his kids either. He's saying, hey, I earned this money based on 
the investing part of it. And, you know, if during college, which who knows, it probably will, it goes up 10 grand, then yeah, it's there for them. But, you know, I'm also curious, what if Wilhelma would have done if that money would have went from 60 to 40? Would she have said, hey, you need to fund 20 more of that from your savings? So I'm just, you know, obviously we don't have all the answers, but there's some questions that I start to ask, you know? That is interesting. OG, does he just feel guilty because it's up? Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. I, he, I wouldn't even have three conversations about this in my lifetime. <laughs> like, like, I bought the ticket with my money, claimed it, signed it, paid the taxes. End of discussion. <laughs> like, like what? What? It happens that there's money left over for college. How great is that? How ungrateful are you, children, that? Maybe I'm only able to cover 75% of your tuition with my money, by the way. No, but wait a minute. Wait a minute. I would agree completely with you, but they had a discussion when it was fantasy money about the fact that this would be theirs. And then Uh it came true, and now we're changing the rules? Yeah. My house, my rules. If you don't like them, pack your stuff. Plus, I'm still adhering to what I said, which was I would set aside money and give you money for college. He did. He got thirty thousand. He's getting the other thirty as well, so he's still getting sixty. Yeah, and both, both kids are getting their thirty. And that's and after, by the way. Bucks. And that is Stephen. That's after the car and the vacation. I mean, he's getting sixty thousand. Yeah, all that. And he also, I mean, I he, take nine grand out of that right now. Get myself a first class ticket to Vegas, and I'll be like, I'll show you how to blow money. Watch this. And then go, see, you. we keep this going all day. I'm the one with the account access. You talk how such much, a... How much more do you want to... You talk such a tough game. I am such a tough guy. Such you a, have no idea. Such a tough game. I don't know. Does that matter, Stephen, that they had the discussion ahead of time to you that that money would all be his? Yeah, I think like the good guy in me says, yeah, it matters. The, you know, like Scrooge McDuck type of says, uh, well, maybe a little bit, maybe I can dip into this a little bit because I mean, uh, what's, what's an extra five grand that I can pocket or go to Disney or Vegas or what have you. So, I mean, it depends. Again, I probably end up having more questions than I do as I start thinking about it more and more. What if his kids came up to him and said that same thing, uh, versus his wife would like, would that make a difference if his kids were like, Hey dad, you made an extra 40 grand. Like, that's amazing. Would they say, give me that 20 grand? Or they would be like, Hey, tell me how you did that. And maybe you want to learn. And it wasn't so much about the money, but actually something that could be a positive. Or did they want the 20 grand to also go to Vegas with OG? I, like, I don't know. It would be a hell of a party. This was the big mistake that he made though, throughout the whole thing was not involving everybody in all the rest of those decisions. You know, so if you're going to give involve them in the decision making up to the point of like, let's spend the money before we make it type of deal, then then you got to involve them in the rest of it. Go, OK, well, here's the 60. And so here's how I invested it. We're going to buy this mutual fund and we're going to buy these stocks. And here's how I picked it. And then, you know, that's why I like stockpile so much. We've talked about that on the show countless times with my kids because they get to see the brands. They get to see the great things that happen when stock prices go up and the not so fun things when stock prices go down and you want to involve them in all those experiences. And at that point you could be, Hey, look, I did take the 16 turned it into 40 or turned it into a hundred. Imagine if 
I wouldn't have done this when I was 50 waiting on you guys to go to college. Imagine if I'd have started this when I was 18 or when I was 22, just getting out of school. Let's see what would happen if you saved a hundred dollars a month. My goodness, you'd be at a hundred thousand dollars by the time you're 25. Yeah, that comes back down to what you said at the beginning, Stephen. I mean, your takeaway from Nick's piece was there weren't enough conversations. This seems like to be kind of the same deal. Yeah, it is the same thing. Like no one was open about the communication other than like it sounds like at the beginning when they had this fantasy chat that where this money was going to go if they won. So the only lesson that they're really getting out of this is to buy a lottery ticket because lottery tickets will help them like win money <laughs> and go to college. I'm guessing that doesn't want to be the number one thing that your kids want to know about as they grow up and learn things about college. Maybe even if they hear about investing, they're going to be like, oh, I don't need to worry about that. We can just buy a lottery ticket every once in a while and then make it all happen. You know? Yeah. That's so, yeah. The communication part, it, it's huge. I didn't even think about that as the potential lesson. Lottery equals hashtag winning. Maybe, maybe not, maybe not right. Uh, thanks for, uh, sending us this question. We, we had a listener, uh, David sent us this question, uh, wanted to get our, our thoughts on this. Uh, thanks David for sending that along. If you've got a question, preferably one that you have yourself head to, uh, stack Maybe David was the one. Maybe David was. Well, yes, that that's a good point. Uh, head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. We normally don't read a question like this, but I thought this was really, really, really fun. So thanks for sending that along. All right. That's going to do it for today, guys. We're going to have our guest of honor go last. OG, what do you got going on this weekend? Uh, really fun stuff happening for our family, my extended family. My niece graduated from boot camp this past week in the army. Awesome. Not quite a Marine. I understand, but not everybody can make it. So that's okay. I won't hold it against her. But that was a really fun time. Not a lot of military folks in the in my generation in my family, kind of extended family. And now my siblings' kids and kind of that generation are starting to come of age. So it's uh, it's kind of interesting to see their life choices and things like that. And and of course we're really proud of her for choosing this and looking forward to supporting her. But it was really fun to go out to South Carolina and get on an army base and kind of experience that pomp and circumstance again. If you are ever in any place that has the opportunity to go to a military graduation from like boot camp, it's just it's a really fun several hour experience. So uh so I highly recommend it. I bet even just much, much, much less. Just Friday parade at the Citadel. I know that that's yeah. kind of a tourist attraction, but it's really fun. If you ever find yourself in Charleston, South Carolina on a Friday, go see the parade. It's just cool. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Steven, thanks a ton for hanging out with us, man. It's about time we got you here. Hey, man, you're the best for just even letting me be in your presence. This is a great <laughs> moment. I don't know. This has been fantastic. We love what you do. But uh, tell everybody what's going on at Even Steven Money this week. Yeah, so I think one of the pieces that I'm most proud about that I just recently wrote was my parents are actually moving into retirement. And one of the reasons is because I helped them with their financial paying off debt and they actually are transitioning to retirement. They paid off a bunch of debt so they could make that move. And I'm really proud of, of that. So that's the big thing that's on my mind right now. Other than me personally, I'm actually heading to Italy. So everything is going to be Italian for the next, whatever, five weeks or whatever. Good day, uh, mate. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah. You must do well in Italy. <laughs> yeah, stick close. Stick close to OG if you want to know Italian. Have you been there before? 
Yes. When I studied abroad, but it was, you know, I was 20 something. Yeah. Not really focused on much, probably art. Oh, <laughs> I so want to go back. That's exciting. By the way, I'm also surprised. So you didn't tell your parents, you're like, so this extra money I made, I get to keep it. <laughs> I don't think that's how that works. But... Probably not. Yeah. I saved you all this money in, in interest. Yes. My fee is only half of what you were going to pay. That's it. Seems fair. Look it's like a that. hedge fund. Everybody wins. Right. All right. That's going to do it for today. Doug, you got it from here, man. What should we have learned today? Well, Joe, if this group of listeners passed their driver's ed training like I almost did, they probably can figure it out on their own. But just in case for that one listener named Dave out there who didn't, I'll tell tell everybody what they should have learned. First, Rome wasn't built in a day and neither is your bank account. Saving money always takes time, patience, and constant upkeep to get you to that early retirement you've always dreamed of. Two, or should I say dose, if you're a woman who's unsure about what to do with your daily money moves, consult Navit, and they can help you outline what's important to you. Number three, let's be real, people. The more nearly made-up words an item has on it at Taco Bell drive-thru, the more likely I am to order it. Doritos Locos Grandiosness, sign me up. Special thanks to Stephen Donovan for taking a trip down to the basement to celebrate National Taco Day with us. You can find more about him on our show notes page. And thanks to Aaron Papworth for coming down to the basement to tell us about Navit. Find out more about Navit at nav.it or in our show notes page. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm a lot deeper than you realize. In fact, sometimes I just stand in front of my mirror and reflect. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. Lastly, thanks to Joe's mom for getting us some cinnamon twists and not forgetting the mild sauce. She's the best. What's wrong with you? Uh, It's either this show or indigestion. I hope it's indigestion. Why? It'll get better in a little while. Welcome to the after show. 
this is the part of the show that doesn't exist. What happens in the after show for those of you who are new uh, stays in the after show. One of my favorite things, by the way, is somebody who's been listening to us for several months and all of a sudden realizes that this segment exists. That always, uh, always makes me laugh. So my question is, we talked a lot about Taco Bell today, Doug did, and we did at the beginning of the show. I was thinking, I can't think of the last time I had Taco Bell when it was daylight out. So Taco Bell did a really nice job of coming up with a meal when they realized they couldn't win any. Blue ocean strategy. Yeah. They couldn't win any of the three real meals, so they came up with their own meal. That late night, I might have had a little bit too much to drink meal, but which, by the way, is a time that I find Taco Bell is incredibly delicious, is after I've had uh, maybe a couple too many adult beverages. Between that and coleslaw, it's just yeah, the a match co- made in yeah, heaven. The coleslaw incident, um, <laughs> that would probably end up being- Circa my, February 2018. My favorite fourth meal. Uh, that went bad, but but my question is is <laughs> the shakes man you were like like the shivers and everything. I oh, was sure was so I was funny. sure I was dying. I don't know, Stephen. Do you even know that story? Do you know that story? I think I know a little bit about it. Yeah, my, I just hope you're okay still. My my fiftieth birthday for people that need to catch up. I got barbecue in Texarkana from yeah, this great had a, big, had a big blowout barbecue place. We we played board games, which is what you do. That's like the cool way to celebrate your 50th birthday and uh, had just an absolute blast. But after everybody left, I was so busy entertaining everybody else. I hadn't eaten all the meat was still sitting out all the stuff, but I saw the coleslaw and I flipping love coleslaw and I had a bunch of that. I had a ton of it and about halfway through the next day, I started feeling kind of bad. Like I was coming down with the flu and then man, by that night I was, I wanted to die. I felt so horrible from the flu. Well, (laughs) I was sure it was the flu all night long. In fact, we were, we had this half marathon that I hope out was on Sunday morning. And I even had to beg off that. I went to the starting line because nobody else could do the thing I did, but I was shaking and freezing and it wasn't cold outside. And I did my job and I'm, I'm on my way to my car and my friend Todd is walking by me and he's like, Hey man, I said, Oh, you don't want to get close to me. Cause I don't know what I got, but it's probably contagious. And he goes, yeah, I heard from Cheryl, you weren't feeling very good. He goes, you didn't eat any of that coleslaw after it sat out for like eight hours, did you? And I went, oh, but uh, yeah, so coleslaw. But what is your reach for? It's the end of the night. It's time for a snack. You maybe have had too many adult beverages. Stephen, what meal are you heading for? Well, I would say it starts out with... Reaching for another beer because I'm not smart enough to not do that. That's, um, but after I get past that. That's always <laughs> me too, by the way. I'm like, yeah, I should have not had that. What was I thinking grabbing that last one? I'm, I'm completely yeah. with you. Uh, but otherwise, I'm a pizza guy for sure. <sighs> and at that point, I'm accepting almost all forms of pizza. Anything from calling up Pizza Hut delivery, like, okay, great. Home run-in pizza, which is, I would say, like my favorite frozen pizza. But I mean, we're talking like cardboard jacks, Tony Romas, like anything's acceptable at that point. It doesn't um, matter. Pizza. Yes. pizza. Any form of it looks like it, tastes like it, I'm in. When I was at Michigan State, there was a place called Dino's where we got pizza. And the pizza was flipping phenomenal. It was amazing. And then one time, my parents were over and we ordered it in the middle of the day. 
And this, you could see the grease like a mile thick on top of this pizza. It was the most disgusting pizza. But at three o'clock in the morning, Dino's was amazing. Packed. Oh, it was incredible. I got one more. I want more. With the pizza, it reminded me of college. There was this place, it was called Toppers, and they had these cheese sticks that they sent. I actually had no idea they even sent, like they made pizza because all we ate were cheese sticks. Like same thing, one random afternoon, someone orders toppers. And I was like, what is this? I was like, where's the cheese sticks? Like, nope. They actually only, they're not only, but they're like the main thing they did was pizza. A whole different piece of the menu you had no idea even existed. That's, That's so awesome. OG, how about you? I'm not much of a late night eater, unfortunately. Like my go-to would be like a some ice cream or something, but that's not like I'm two bottles into it and I'm trying to find something to eat. Oh, but I'll do uh, ice. Uh, I will do ice cream after being deep into it. Yeah, no, I, I don't know yeah. that I ever have. I'll have I'll have ice cream almost every day. As a matter of fact, like that's kind of like just a normal pattern for me is uh, is ice cream. But um, yeah, I mean, in college, used to do the pizza thing. In Ann Arbor, they have uh, Pizza House, which is, again, one of those places where you get like what you get and then you forget that they have all a bunch of other stuff. And I've been back there a couple of times. It's still decent, but it's not as good as I remember it, probably because I only ate the food like, you know, three sheets to the wind. But but the like the walk up pizza place where you get like three slices for two dollars or something like that on the way home. That was always pretty good. I found I'm I'm like a responsible adult now. I don't. generally drink to excess (laughs) and I go to bed at 10 o'clock. So I'm pretty much the most boring uh, dinner date ever. I found that after game night, when Andy Hill from marriage, kids and money and everybody else, Cat Alford's husband, Jonathan, everybody else has left game night. A lot of the time I don't have the Friday show ready because our game nights on Thursday. So then I, I listen to the show before it goes out. So I will sit there. I'll do to Steven's point. I'll pour another glass of wine. Bad idea. And then I go pop more popcorn. I have no oh, idea. I was going to say popcorn. I can do popcorn. Yes. I don't like popcorn that much, but there are certain kinds that I like. And by the way, at when it's late night, I poured the damn butter on that too. And and the next morning, if there's any left, I'm like, that was the most disgusting thing. I can't believe I ate all that. And I just salt it beyond belief too. Just tons of salt, tons of butter. We have the uh, big can of cashews from Costco. Oh. Almost every every time we go to Costco, we get a new, you know, one of those like big tubs of them. Yes. So those are kind of always within reach, a, a handful of cashews. I eat those until my stomach hurts. Yeah, I don't do, uh, this, these are all things that I've learned sometime between like my 20s and my 40s. I feel like at 51, you should have picked this message are you up judging somewhere me? along the line. You're looking at me very judgy right now. <laughs> you know, I mean. Very judgy. You know. I feel a little uncomfortable. Joe, I got a question for you. Coleslaw. Can you eat it now? I can, Oh, I still love it. Yeah. It isn't like back in the day in college, I threw up Budweiser, like big time threw up Budweiser. I still if Southern Comfort. If 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 you crack open a Budweiser in front of me, I still still and I was I was probably, you know, 21. And, uh, (laughs) at least, right. I see how you guys bought older. I see how you guys bought that. I had to think for a second. I was, uh, 21, you know, and, um, being responsible, but yeah, yeah. Threw up Budweiser and I still can, but, but coleslaw, man, no problem. Goes down beautiful. Kind of that way with SpaghettiOs. 
that was that was my college after, after like I would make spaghettios for myself in the middle of the night. You hurled spaghettios? Oh yeah, like so much that it had to like repaint the bathroom. <laughs> Don't. I think we gotta stop. We gotta stop on that. Oh. No, I didn't. I, I didn't think you were recording any of this. Oh. <laughs> Well, stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout-outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend OG, who spent time in the military. And of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.